among those events memorialized by the day of Pentecost is an extraordinary event that occurred among the followers of Christ shortly after his death and subsequent resurrection. It was in 31 AD on the day of Pentecost that the followers of Jesus Christ were filled with the Holy Spirit. But to what end? For what purpose was the Spirit of God given to them in the way that it was at that time? What was to be accomplished by it? It's important that we understand what the Holy Spirit is and what God intends to accomplish with it. Millions of people believe that the Holy Spirit is a person, a member of the Trinity, as it's called. The doctrine of the Trinity actually confuses people as to the true nature of God. It confuses people as to what the Holy Spirit actually is. It confuses people about why the Holy Spirit is given. And it blinds people to God's purpose and how that purpose is being accomplished. Before we proceed further, let's review what actually happened on that day of Pentecost in 31 AD. Luke 24 and verse 49, Luke 24 and verse 49, Jesus was speaking to his disciples after his resurrection. And he said, Behold, I send to the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry, or wait, in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So he told them that he would send the promise of the Father on them, but they were to wait in Jerusalem until they were endued with power. Now, as we will see, the promise that was being discussed here is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he said that they would be endued with power in relation to this, this promise that was to be fulfilled. The word endued from the Greek enduo means to be clothed. So they were to be clothed, so to speak, with the Holy Spirit and in being clothed with the Holy Spirit and they would be endued or clothed with power. In Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 and verse 1, Luke actually wrote the book of Acts and uh, he says in Verse 1, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, as we've just read, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel, or to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons, which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now notice that he said that, again, that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit was given. And he connects that, that gift of God's Spirit with the power that, it, that would accompany it with the preaching of the gospel. In other words, the power that was to be given was at least in part given to enable them to fulfill the commission 
that they'd been given of preaching the gospel. Then in Acts 2, and beginning with verse 1, Acts 2, beginning with verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And basically what this means is they they were gathered there with a crowd in the temple, evidently, There were people from many uh, places around the world at that time, as there were typically at the feasts, uh, during, uh, during the feast seasons at the temple. People came from various quarters around the globe to keep the feasts, including the Feast of Pentecost. And, uh, they were speaking different languages. And so the apostles were given the ability to speak in languages that they would not normally be speaking in, as the context explains, so that people could understand what they were saying as they were preaching to them. But notice here that the Spirit resembled a mighty, a rushing mighty wind and fire. It doesn't say it was wind or fire, but it it, uh, may have actually been been, uh, uh, perhaps caused a mighty wind to blow through the place. But but uh, in any case, if it was not actually a wind, it was like the sound of a of a mighty wind and and uh, appeared as fire. And these are manifestations of power. What do you think of when you think of a powerful wind? You probably think of force or, or power or energy. And, of course, fire also is a manifestation of energy being expended. So here are are uh, symbols of power associated with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 16, goes on to say, Acts 2 and verse 16, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it came to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Now this was not the ultimate or final fulfillment of this prophecy, but it was a, a typical fulfillment, a partial fulfillment of this prophecy in the book of Joel, when the when the Spirit of God was poured out on the disciples of Christ gathered there, and they were prophesying or proclaiming the message of the gospel in the temple and God's spirit was being manifested in a very unusual way. Then in verse 32 of Acts 2, verse 32, it says that this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Notice here the manifestation of the Spirit is compared to the pouring out of a liquid, such as water or oil. And again, flowing water or oil being uh, poured out is a manifestation of power. You know, some of our electricity, for example, is generated by the, the, by the flow of water through turbines which generate electricity. Oil is a source 
of light and, and energy. Most of our cars are powered by oil, for example. So all of these things that we are, have read in relation to God's Spirit is directly connected with energy or power. The Spirit of God is a manifestation of God's power. We read in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, chapter 1 and verse 7 of 2 Timothy, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we see that God's Spirit is a spirit of power. But do we understand how powerful God really is? Do we understand that God is a God of stupendous, unfathomable power? Do we understand that God is a workman, that he is a builder, a creator, and that the power by which he is perfecting his creation is his spirit? Today I want to show you that the spirit of God has been put into his church because that spirit is the power by which God's spiritual house, his spiritual creation is being formed and perfected. We can see that God is a builder, a creator, by looking at his physical creation. We read in Romans 1, Romans 1 and verse 19, it says, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, or better translated, revealed to them, for God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The, the creation is a testimony, a witness to the power of God as a builder, a creator, an architect. In John 1, verse 1, John 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. So this is speaking of the Word here is speaking of Jesus Christ. And God here in this particular context is a reference to the Father, uh, or at least partly because it says the Word was God. In other words, both the Father, the, the one uh, spoken of here as God, the Word was with God, meaning the Father, but it says also the Word was God. In other words, there were two beings here being uh, referred to who were both God. Together they were God. But everything was made through the Word. And the Word, as is revealed shortly uh, after these verses, a little later on in the chapter, the Word is Jesus Christ. The Word, the Greek Word, translated Word here in, this, in these verses is the Greek word logos, and it can refer to a speaker or a spokesman. And the creation was accomplished through the spoken word of God. It was accomplished through the spoken word of God. In Genesis 1 verse 3, Genesis 1 verse 3, it says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. So it was through the power of the spoken word of God that caused light to shine on the surface of the earth. I won't, I won't take the time to explain all the details about that, but this is not talking about the original creation of the sun or of light itself, as some have mistakenly believed. But it does have to do with the fact that light appeared on the earth, on the surface of the earth for the first time in in an age. We don't know how long the earth had been in total darkness, but evidently for some time. 
But it was through the spoken word that that was accomplished, spoken word of God. It tells us in Genesis 1 and verse 2, the earth was or had become without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, and then just after that, it tells us that God spoke and light appeared. And then going on through the chapter, it says God spoke and this happened and that happened. Various things were created. But it tells us that before these things happened, God's spirit was there. God's spirit was present. And God's word and his spirit are linked together as one. As Jesus himself said in John 6, verse 63, the words that I speak are spirit. The words that I speak are spirit. The words of God, the word of God is a manifestation of his spirit. It is a reflection of his spirit. And human beings, as well as everything else that has been created, but human beings in particular, are products of the, of the spirit of God. We read in Job 33 and verse 4, Job 33 and verse 4, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life the spirit of god has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life the word translated breath here is the hebrew word neshama and it could be translated spirit as well as breath now we already read that Everything that is made or is created was created by the Word, Jesus Christ. But here it says that the Spirit of God has made me. Now, if the Holy Spirit is a person separate from Jesus Christ, then here is a contradiction. Because one place we read the spirit of god has made me another place tells us that jesus christ is the one through whom everything is was created but the spirit of god is not a separate person from christ who did the creating but jesus christ himself through his spirit through the spirit of god did the creating the spirit is an instrumentality, is a, it is an aspect of God's nature. It is a manifestation of God's power that emanates from his being. It is not a person in its own right. It is a part of, the, of who God is, what God is. In Psalm 19 and verse 1, Psalm 19 verse 1, we read, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God. If you want to see a manifestation of God's glory, you can look up any night that the stars are visible and look into the heavens, and there you see the glory of God. For that matter, you can look up at the daytime, I wouldn't advise you to look directly at the sun, but you can see God's glory declared there as well. And it says the firmament shows his hand, handiwork. The firmament here is referring to the great expanse of the heavens. Once when asked how many stars there are in the universe, the noted British astronomer Sir James Jeans said, and I'm quoting here, there must be as many stars in the universe as, they, as there are grains of sand on all the seashores of the world. There must be as many stars in the universe as there are grains of sand on all the seashores of the world. Now, think for a moment. 
what that means in terms of numbers. Who can count the grains of sand on all the seashores of the world? Almost 3,000 years earlier, God had made a statement to Abraham comparing the number of the stars of heaven to the grains of sand on the seashore. Genesis 22 and verse 17. Genesis 22 and verse 17, God said to Abraham, Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In other words, God was telling Abraham that his descendants would be innumerable for multitude, even as the stars of heaven cannot be counted, nor the grains of sand on the seashore. An innumerable multitude. The sun, our sun, is a part of the Milky Way galaxy, which is a galaxy estimated to be between, to consist of between. 200 to 400 billion stars. Our sun radiates energy at the rate of 50 horsepower per square inch. 50 horsepower per square inch or 500 billion trillion horsepower per day. 500 billion trillion horsepower per day. Each second, four million tons of the sun's matter is changed into energy. There are known to be hundreds of billions of galaxies in the observable universe, and each of those galaxies has billions of stars, which together average... uh, the stars in their sizes average that approximating the sun. The sun is an average-sized star. Now, there are many different uh, varieties of stars and sizes of stars. Some are called dwarf stars. Some are called giants. But the sun is about an average-sized star. And from what I've read in books on astronomy, it's believe that the average number of stars in a galaxy is about 10 billion. Some galaxies are quite uh, a bit smaller than others. Some are uh, much more massive. The Milky Way happens to be a pretty large galaxy, but it is not the largest that has been observed. But as I said, it has anywhere from 200 to 400 billion stars The average is at least 10 billion, and there are hundreds of billions of galaxies, if not trillions, in the observable universe. Now, I just told you how much energy the sun emanates continuously, but think about the power emanating from and contained within the vast innumerable multitude of stars in the observable universe. It's not only mind-boggling, it is utterly incomprehensible to our feeble, limited minds. There's no way we can even begin to wrap our minds around the concept of that much power. In Psalm 33 and verse 6, Psalm 33 and verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth in Psalm 33 and verse 9 it says for he spoke and it was done or could be translated he spoke and it came to be as it is in the English standard version goes on to say he commanded and it stood fast Or it could be translated, it abided or it continued.
God's Spirit is inherent in His Word. God's Spirit is subject to His command. As we read earlier, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life, said Jesus. In Job 26 and verse 13, it says, now we just read that it was by the word of the Lord that the heavens were made. But here in this verse, Job 26 and verse 13, it says, by his spirit, he has garnished the heavens. His hand has formed the crooked serpent. The crooked serpent is a reference to a constellation, likely either the constellation Hydra, also called the sea serpent, or Draco the dragon. But it is through the power of God's spirit being invoked through his word that the universe exists. and everything in it. In Colossians 1 and verse 15, Colossians 1 verse 15 says, He, speaking of Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. In Hebrews 11 and verse 3, Hebrews 11 and verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen are not made of things which are visible. Have you ever seen spirit? You cannot see spirit. But that is what lies behind everything that is created. It's what lies behind everything that we can see. Contrary to what many have claimed, God did not make the universe out of nothing. He did not make the universe out of nothing. The universe consists ultimately of spirit, and it is sustained by God's power, that is, his spirit. In Hebrews 1 and verse 1, Hebrews 1 and verse 1 says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And actually the worlds here is the Greek word ionos, which can be translated ages. And here it's not only speaking of uh, speaking of the original creation it's speaking it, it has a time element here as well the ages the things that exist throughout time are present or exist or will exist, have existed through Jesus Christ. goes on to say, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. In other words, Jesus Christ not only created the universe, he sustains the universe as well through the word of his power. Notice, notice that the uh, no, notice the wording here. It says the word of his power. Again, linking God's word with spirit and the idea of power. When he had by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Modern man has recently discovered the equivalence of matter and energy or that everything consists of discrete bundles of energy. 
everything consists ultimately of energy. Here's what Lincoln Barnett wrote in a book titled The Universe and Dr. Einstein, having to do with modern physics and certain things that have been discovered in recent times. But he says, he writes, standing midway between macrocosm and microcosm, macrocosm being the universe, microcosm being the atomic uh, particles. He, speaking of man, finds barriers on every side. and can perhaps but marvel. As St. Paul said 1900 years ago that the world was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made out of things which do not appear. End of quote. Now what he's talking about here where he said that man finds himself or man finds barriers on every side from the standpoint of the macrocosm or the universe and the microcosm or the submicroscopic atomic uh, world, you might say. Human beings can glimpse the awesome power of the stars. They can catch a glimpse into the awesome power of the atom. But human beings do not really comprehend either one. We do not really understand either the universe with all of its awesome power, nor do we understand fully the atomic world, so to speak, and the power that is manifested in things far smaller than the human eye can see. Or, we can, or that we can even see with the most powerful microscopes that humans have been able to devise. No one has actually seen an atom. That is, no human being has. No one has seen the subatomic particles that are believed to, to uh, be a part of what atoms are composed of. Those things are only seen indirectly through, through uh, tracks on film and things of that sort. The cities of Hiroshima and, Nag uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki were flattened by atom bombs that were utilizing the power in the atoms of a small piece of uranium. We can, we can see those things, we can witness to them, but we do not really understand them. But what, we, what seems to be indicated is that the universe itself began as pure energy emanating from God's Spirit. God's Spirit is the power by which the master architect built and rules his creation. Its magnificence and grandeur should tell us that nothing is beyond his capability. The universe itself is a physical creation. It's a physical abode, but it is only a forerunner of an even greater creation. What we read in Genesis 22 and verse 17 applies spiritually as well as physically. Many have sought to limit God, claiming that only a handful of humanity will be saved. But let's read it again. It says, Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Now, this is a physical promise, but it is more than a physical promise. It also has spiritual implications. 
because it's not limited to the physical creation or the physical descendants of Abraham, it is also speaking of his spiritual heirs. Notice in Romans 4, Romans 4 and verse 11, it says, speaking of Abraham, he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. That he might be the father of all those who believe. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those not only who are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect because the law brings about wrath. For there, where is there, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, speaking of the old covenant with Israel, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope and hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. So when God said that Abraham's descendants would be innumerable from multitude, as the stars of heaven and the, the grains of sand on the seashore, he wasn't just talking about physical Israelites. He was talking about them, but he was talking about more. Because God is building a spiritual creation. He is building a spiritual temple or building, which will consist of many billions born into the family of God. Billions who will shine with radiant power like stars, as we read in Daniel 12, verse 3, where it says, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. In Second Peter 2 and verse 1, Second Peter 2 and verse 1, it says, Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. In other words, Paul is speaking, or Peter is speaking here, of the household of God as a building composed of living stones. The living stones are the individuals who make up the temple or the house of God, so to speak. In Ephesians 2 and verse 10, Ephesians 2 and verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Then going on to verse 18 of Ephesians 2, for through him, we both, speaking of both Jews and Gentiles, have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints 
and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So again, the household of God, the family of God, his spiritual family is likened to a building, a temple. The physical temples of God were built through God's Spirit. Haggai wrote in Haggai 2 and verse, beginning with verse 1, Haggai 2 and verse 1, In the seventh month and the twenty-first of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, the prophet saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheol, uh, Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? This was after the captivity, the Babylonian captivity, and the Jews had returned to Jerusalem, some of them at least. And uh, the question was being asked, who of who you uh, saw the temple in its former glory, that is, before it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar? And how do you see it now in comparison with it? Is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Zerubbabel, the governor and the high priest, Joshua and the people were involved in rebuilding the temple. And note that God's spirit was there empowering them to do what they were seeking to accomplish. As from the beginning, God's Spirit was present among Israel, but to a limited extent. Some of the leaders of Israel had it, had the Spirit of God. Some of the people had God's Spirit. But most of the people of Israel, even most of the leaders, were circumcised only of flesh, if at all. And we read in Haggai 2 and verse 9, the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And then this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. And now again, the first temple was more glorious in appearance than the second temple. Inside the temple that Solomon made were precious woods and stones covered with pure gold. But the second temple was where God in the flesh stood and taught the people. And in certain respects, it was more glorious than the first temple. But this especially applies to the spiritual temple of God. When the tabernacle in the wilderness was built, God filled the builders of the tabernacle with the Holy Spirit. As we read in Exodus 31, verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom and understanding and knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, 
to design artistic works, to work in gold, in silver, in bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, indeed, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan, and I have put wisdom in the hearts of all who are gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you. So the spirit was the spirit of God was present with those who were doing the work of building the tabernacle. It was done through the power, through the wisdom and insight granted by God's spirit. But the tabernacle was a physical creation. The builders of the spiritual temple are also empowered by God's spirit to build the spiritual temple after the image of God. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 5, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 5, Paul is speaking of himself and others who had been sent to proclaim the gospel. And he said, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. What he's saying is that it is God who has empowered us to proclaim the message that they were proclaiming, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what was, is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. When Moses came down out of the mountain and God had given him the commandments, his face radiated with power, a, a brilliance, a light that was so uh, so powerful and so bright that the people of Israel could not look at him any more than they could look at the noonday sun. And so Moses had to put a veil over his face. to keep from blinding the people that were around him. Paul goes on, verse 14. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart, but nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. In other words, when someone repents and begins to really seek God, the veil is removed. And the spiritual blindness is replaced by insight and understanding. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. End quote. Now, we are each personally involved in this process as we allow God's Spirit to work in us. Notice in Ephesians 4 and verse 14, 
Ephesians 4 and verse 14, that uh, is talking about the ministry and what their responsibilities are in terms of teaching the truth. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. In other words, every part of the body has a, a function a role to play in the edification or the building up, the constructing of the body, which is the temple of God, the household of God. He goes on to say, verse 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And this is accomplished in you through the power of God's spirit working in you to reform you, to change what and who you are. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 4, Titus 3 and verse 4, it says, When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The process of transformation that makes us from mere carnal human beings into children of God in Christ being motivated and empowered by his spirit is a spiritual regeneration or rebirth and renewing of the Holy Spirit it says, through the washing of regeneration, being regenerated, renewed, made over again into something new and different, and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom, or which as it should be translated, he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It is through God's Spirit that the character is formed in us which makes us fit to be heirs. God's Spirit is power that flows into our minds, regenerating our minds, conforming them to God's image. And out of the transformed mind flow the, the fruits of God's Spirit. But for that to happen, we must submit. We must remove any resistance that is a part of our nature. And by nature, we do resist God's spirit. We are hostile to God's word and his spirit. We have to exercise our will to remove that natural resistance to the things of God. If electricity flowing through a circuit meets resistance, its work is impeded. It may be 
stopped altogether, depending on the nature of the resistance. If we resist God's spirit, instead of yielding to it, then its work will be hindered. But if we hook into it, if we, if we unlock its power through yielding to the Holy Spirit, then the power of the Holy Spirit to change us, to reform us, is unlimited. In Jeremiah 32 and verse 17, Jeremiah 32 and verse 17, Ah, Lord, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. If you begin to think that, ever begin to think that you're a lost cause, and you're beyond hope. Or that God doesn't have the power to do with you according to his will. Then think about the heavens and the earth and who created them. And think about this scripture that says there is nothing too hard for God. In verse 27 of Jeremiah 32 it says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Nothing is too hard for God. He has the power to fulfill His will in our lives. And He will fulfill His will in our lives if we submit to Him and allow His Spirit to work in us. Because we are free moral agents. Ultimately, we get to choose. But... If we choose salvation, then God has the power to accomplish what needs to be done. In the scriptures, the prophecies of the Bible, we read often of God's chastening of Israel because of their rebellion and their evil deeds. But we also read, along with those scriptures, proclaiming destruction and catastrophe for the people of Israel and the world, we also find that that's not the end of the story. Because we also read of God changing carnal Israel into spiritual Israel. And we also read of God granting salvation to all mankind. That is, those willing to receive it. In Jeremiah 32, again in verse 37, Jeremiah 32, verse 37, Behold, I will gather them out of all countries. This is speaking of the people of Israel at the beginning of the new age to come after Christ's intervention. I will gather them out of all countries where I've driven them in my anger and my fury and in great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great calamity on this people, so I will bring on them all the good that I have promised them. God is now giving to us the same spirit that will later be poured out on Israel to convert them and eventually be poured out on all flesh. Those who are faithful to Christ today are among the first fruits of his spiritual creation. They will be the first part of the spiritual creation, the spiritual building, so to speak, to be perfected. 
and it is through God's Spirit that is that is accomplished. As we read in Second Samuel twenty two and verse thirty three, God is my strength and power, and He makes my way perfect. Romans eight and verse twelve. Romans eight and verse twelve, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh or the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption or sonship, it could be translated, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself, or itself as it should be translated, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who rejected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Notice that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. In Revelation 14, it is speaking of the... Uh, of, of 144,000. But uh, the words actually apply beyond those specifically named there. It says, These are the ones who are not were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from, from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. The, these words apply to everyone who is among the first fruits, including the 144,000. And we'll have more to say about that probably tomorrow. But those who are of the first fruits of God's Spirit today are the redeemed. They are the beginning of the spiritual creation of God. That is His household, His family. And it's not just going to be a few people who wind up having salvation with the mass. Uh, the the great uh, mass of humanity being cast into uh, ever-burning hell, as some have claimed. Actually, many have claimed that that's the destiny of most human beings. But that's an absolute lie. The destiny of most human beings is to be a part of the spiritual creation of God through the power of His Spirit. Do we understand the magnitude of that power? The power that works in us? Do we even dimly comprehend the power available to strengthen and perfect us? God's church, which consists of those whose names are registered in heaven, not registered in some member list on the earth, but the church of God are those whose names are written in heaven in the book of life. 
and they are the spiritual creation of God. You, if your name is written there, part of that creation. Being perfected by the unlimited and omnipotent power of the Spirit of God. Seek God's power and yield to it, and you will be sons of God sharing His magnificent glory for all eternity.